Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to Priority Roll. My name is Dan and today I'm joined by the one and only Ben Curry to talk about Battle Tomes. How are you, Ben? I'm fantastic, thank you. It's really weird listening to you at normal speed because when I listen to podcasts, so is it time two? So it's like, why is he speaking so slow? <laughs> Maybe I should try and speak like this really quickly. Is that how, yeah, is that that how I sound when, when, I, when I play? <laughs> when you play me back, why, why would you? Why would you waste? You know, my dulcet tones at times two. You surely want to listen to me. You know, get no, get the full effect. I'm more in. <laughs> cram more in, cram more of me in right so w- what we're going to be d- doing today is we're going to be talking about battle tomes but not spe- a specific battle tomes battle tomes in general kind of like how one goes about analyzing reading kind of going through a battle tome and working out what kind of lists are out there what you might want to take because there's a lot of a lot of chat online when battle tomes come out and it tends to arrive when the battle tome gets announced, or in fact before that, when when there's rumours of battle tome. So I guess take Seraphon as an example, because it's kind of, you know, that's that's happening at the moment. So Seraphon players want a battle tome, so they talk about what they what they might want into it. And they build up this expectation of um we want a whole raft of new models, everything that's fine cast becomes plastic, there's all the pla- existing plastic kits gets new fancy versions, and then the Games Workshop release a tease of the battle tomes coming and everyone gets even more excited and people talk about what they're going to have and all, all the things that are going to exist and everyone gets really, really excited. And then there's the Sunday, you know, next week, this is going to come preview thing. And people read into that and over-read into that. And then the following week, people do little, little snippets on the, the Warhammer community site and then people go, wow, this is rubbish because <laughs> this like half-revealed rule is terrible because it doesn't quite work. And it, and most importantly, it doesn't quite match my expectations or the expectations that I've made up in my head. So by the time the battle tome actually arrives in in your grubby mitts, lots of people have already made up their mind because they've listened to kind of people whinging on a WhatsApp chat or they've kind of written the battle tome off, which is a shame. And I'm not saying, and you know, I'm not being as patronising to say that everyone does this, but I, I'm sometimes guilty of it myself. I kind of listen to the kind of internet grumbling about it and go, oh, I don't don't do that, army, because it's rubbish. But then you kind of got to take a step back and be like, why is it rubbish? Have I decided this rubbish for myself? Why have I decided that? And that's kind of what this episode's really all about. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? it when I got into the game, like hype over a battle tome wasn't a thing because you, there was such a gap between army books. Like I played Dark Elves and I'd know full well that like, there'd just been no release, like years and years and years before the next one. Or even if I played a few different armies or factions or whatever, it was still the same. It was like there's not going to be an Age of Sigmar book every three months. It's more like one year we had three or four books in a year and the game went bonkers because it was just, it was a different thing entirely back then. So now this new release schedule is so fast and furious and people are getting pumped for every release, so excited. They're changing armies so much. And then, I don't know, it's interesting, isn't it, how it's just you know the reaction to the the hype and then people's opinions when they get hold of the book and yeah it, it's a good topic i think there's a lot of lot of extremes lots of highs and but, but but there's also the kind of inevitable lows aren't there they're kind of it's very peaky it's like you know rather than it being quite a steady wave it's very like up and down so like oh my god about the coming oh my god it's terrible don't worry there's another one ah, ah, ah. so um i guess maybe the fra- frantic and frenetic release schedule kind of builds that kind of atmosphere so, uh, uh, but I certainly wouldn't want it to go back to the old way either. No, certainly not. It's um, I like it just how it is. Exactly. So, so and, and I guess it's important to kind of caveat this conversation with as well of this is going to be a way to do it. It's not going to be the way to do it. This isn't going to be the kind of Ben Curry TM, you know, you must do this. This is going to be, this is kind of how you, you do it. Because you, you've been, yeah, just, you've been warhammering for, for a few, a few months or so, isn't it? You kind of got into the hobby earlier <laughs> this year, right? Yeah, yeah, just just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, it's a weird topic to talk about because I'm going to tell you how I approach um, writing a new list, getting a new battle tome and, and going over it like that. And I know full well I'm probably a minority in this because I've got my own weird little habits. But I imagine everyone does as well. So it would be interesting to see how mine cross over to other people's. Yeah, absolutely. We could We could have this exact same conversation with the same list of kind of questions and topics with another player and come up with completely different advice and completely different answers and that's the kind of beauty of it is that everyone approaches it from a slightly different perspective and I guess it's quite like a a toolbox approach so 
you might spiel off for, you know, the 45 minutes that we're going to be chatting about how you do it. And someone might think that's all rubbish, all absolute complete nonsense. I don't like that. Apart from this one thing you said, this one little gem of wisdom. And if they come away from listening uh, to this conversation and they've come away with one little gem of wisdom that, that helps them go forward to to make better lists or read battle tomes in a different way then that's good you know it doesn't have to be luckily for you ben it doesn't have to be 45 minutes of pure pure uh pure gold so uh you're off the hook <laughs> nice okay i'll do my best let's do it so why is this topic important so we kind of covered that right at the beginning of, of it's important that people are able to analyze battle tomes almost in isolation so without looking at what um the internet's saying and it's all it's also important to do it with all the information so no, not necessarily kind of trying to analyze a new release purely based on what's been on Warhammer Community or, or what they've seen from a YouTube video. You've got to you've got to kind of do it with uh, with some games under your belt as well. But this we're going to be talking at this point of without having games under your belt. Okay. <laughs> so sure. what's the first thing you do when you open a new battle tome? Smell it. Obviously, smell it after you <laughs> after you've taken in a, a deep whiff of that new book smell. What what do you do? I just kind of like browse it all. I don't like dive to one particular section. I know some people go straight to the models, others go straight to the points in the back or the rules or the you know. I kind of just flick through it and take in a bit of the art, a bit of the just the the design and feel of the whole book because that kind of reflects the faction quite often like you know if you grab the daughters of cain battle tome and have a quick flick through that you just get like i don't know battered by murder and blood and it you know it kind of gets you in the feel of like this is what the whole faction's about you don't even have to read too much of it you just a quick browse through the book and you you get the feel of the army um you look at some of the rules you look at some of the background look at some of the models and you can see games workshop have done a better and better job of this over the years of tying all that together it's it's all really tight from one section to another um so yeah that's that's the first thing i do um once i've kind of you know blitzed through and had a quick flick i tend to it, it's the i think it's the the temples or stormhouse or whatever i think that's the thing i like to dive into the allegiance abilities and and those that's where i sort of start my reading so let's call those sub-factions for now. So does sub-factions, does that inform your unit choice or does your do you have an idea of unit choicing informing sub-factions? So do you look at a sub-faction and say, this sub-faction A is really good for infantry you know, X or do you go, I really, really want to run infantry X, which sub-faction allows me to run that? You know, do, do you see what I mean? Is it a sub-faction process first or a war scroll process first? Mm, I'd say it's probably a bit of both, and it needs to be. Um, certainly, like from from my point of view, I always tend to have an idea of how how I want the army to play on the table, um, kind of how it wants to move around the board, how it wants to fight its fights, or what how it's going to win a game, and how we're going to get to that. Um, so you kind of look at what sort of units you're going to need on the board to do that, and the sub faction kind of helps that along. Uh, in some instances, Hagnar, for example, the sub-faction, you know, you look at that and you think, well, that's the one I want to go for. So what units will fit into improving that? So um, Doors of Cain, again, is a good example. You, if you want to play a really aggressive list, you, you can go for um, you can go for your Calibron and teleport over there. Or you can go one of the ones that give you bonuses to fighting and charging. Um, but if you think, I just want to build a, an army that can like grind out a big victory, then Hagnar's what you go for. And then you kind of fit the units in around that. So it works both ways. And I think most players and most books, it, they're flexible enough to do that, which is a good thing. I also I like the fact that it's it's slowly moving towards being more more defined and you know, the sub factions are a, a thing and they work in a set way and they 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 perform in a particular way on the table and the background for that sub faction explains how they fight and why they fight that way and then you can kind of build the units into that and it's not just a case of like choosing almost choosing your tokens and arranging them in a set order it, it's more like these it's all designed around that um in advance and that's good I, I think that's a really, really good thing for the game. And the more it moves that way, the better. It's interesting that some factions don't have sub-factions despite being released after the kind of introduction of these sub-factions. So, for example, Deepkin's quite an old book at the moment, and that's that's got its enclaves, doesn't it? Whereas yeah. Gloomspite Gits don't have sub-factions. Yeah, the, the Gloomspite Gits, it's a, it's a weird book, though, isn't it? Because they've, you know, they've got that many sub-factions 
armies. That, well, there's a lot of keyword <laughs> yeah. kind of sub-factions in there, aren't there? There's the Trogoths, there's the Spider Fang, there's the 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 Moon Clan as was, but there's no there's no kind of Moon Clan. And even like a whereas you've got a similar book, so Skaven as an example, you've got the, the, that's a, a book that's quite similar in that it combines a lot of scroll scrolls from a variety of different ranges and kind of model sub-factions and they have a sub-faction rule that allows you to take a Skaven army but have they, they respond to each other's rules without writing each other off mm. do you think it's um, you know when you get a new book like Deakin for example and it's just its own thing um, comparing that to like trying to pull in all the all the groups that it gets together you kind of run out of things you can put in a book I guess yeah I guess there's there's a, a limit of only so many things you can only so many pages but I admit, maybe there's not because Stormcast books huge and, and other books are, are less huge um, I think it will be interesting to see you know going forward and you know I'm not asking you to comment on this because I, I know you, you are you are privy to a little bit more information than, than most uh, most of us but uh, it will be interesting to see when they redo battle tomes like Glue Spike Gits or um, other battle tomes that don't have the sub-faction details uh, as deep as they do, whether they exist or whether they they just kind of carry on as they are and just say, that's not what we want from this army. And this, I guess that comes down from what Games Workshop want from the army, doesn't it? Yeah, I think they've already started using things like White Dwarf and um, Wrath of the Everchosen, for example, as a place to put those in. So I wouldn't discount anything, to be honest. Um, I certainly... That Wrath of the Everchosen book is, I thought, is really good. Um, like for the game going forward, thinking you can get a, a, a book like that, which has a bit of something for everyone or a, a bit of something for a lot of people. And it can really change some lists. Like in that book, some of the Nurgle lists I've seen coming out of there, fantastic, just from adding another subfaction. Oh, yeah. And you could do something very similar for gloom spite uh bone splitters and angels and i know they've all been rolled into auric war clans now but you could have say like the kind of the the rolling d- destruction mass whatever you whatever you want to call that and just have ogres orcs goblins grots whatever you know and that could be a thing and you could just be like yeah a, a little combined army like they've got combined demons yeah be cool wouldn't it? that would be very cool right so let's talk about war scroll battalions because there's a lot of those in in books these days and as you say white dwarf is introducing new ones as well how much do war scroll battalions kind of come into play into your army analysis it's everyone's choice on this i mean me personally I'm, I've never been a fan of battalions. I never used to play them at all. And I think part of that was because I played so many games with um, Legion of Asgore, who just, the battalions just weren't very good. And they didn't really, they didn't really do what they said they would. Like one of them was a, a war host, which wasn't really very war hosty. The other one was an artillery train that didn't really buff the artillery. It just didn't do much at the time. So when I moved on to the Doors of Cain, um, I just I just wasn't a fan of the battalions. And I know um, some people playing doing to great effect. Sort of true. Ben Saver was uh, you know smashing it up with that. And then I just thought I'd play Cauldron Guard. I, I like the sound of the battalion with a plus one to charge, plus one to run. Um, it, it it changed the play style of the army a little in that the Doors of Cain list was very much build your castle, let someone charge onto you and counter-attack, whereas the Cauldron Guard, it, it switched the whole feel of the same list because it gives you the ability to charge turn one. If someone lines up on the 12-inch line, you can run forward, which you're probably going to do anyway. If you roll a six on your run, or if you want to turn to a six, you've got the option to charge, and you get plus one again. Uh, so it just gave you that extra extra bit of something, and I think that's what's great about War Squad Battalions and the way they fit into a battle term is you can think that you've got your army in a sub-faction which plays in a certain way, and then your battalion can just put a little tweak on it again, and it can really just change the whole list. Um Obviously, there are some battalions out there that have took that too far. Um, but, you know, I think it's a balance. And I think it's really good when you get your book and you, you're reading through your battle term and you're thinking, how do I want this to play? Um, there could be a, a battalion that really fits into that play style. Um, and on paper, it might be overpointed. You might look at it and think 200 points for that or you know, 100 points for that. You don't get anything. If it if it swings the whole list to suit that style of play that you want even more, then it's probably worth it. Like points don't matter to some extent. Um, it costs what it costs. If you can fit it in the army and it does what it's supposed to do, then it is you know it could be integral to the list. And it's another thing that can really drive like you know pulling apart the whole battle tome and deciding what makes it good and all the rest of it. 
And you mentioned battle tomes as rather. You mentioned War Scroll Battalion. Some of them have kind of taken it a little bit too far. Can you think of an example? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Um, there's nothing that jumps out off the top of my head. In the past, there's, there's probably been some. Um, I think most of them have been points changed out over the last recent General's Handbooks, haven't they? So um, there's nothing now that screams of like, oh, this battalion's broken. I don't know. What, what do you think? Is any of that you catch your eye? Oh, some of the Zinch ones are looking pretty tasty. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting one. Oh, in fact, that brings me to quite uh, interesting point. We were discussing it on um, a recent podcast where, um, who was it with? It was with um, Paul Marshall, say, who's uh, organising the uh, Pompey Pillage, we, the episode that's going to arrive in people's ears slightly before this one so they'll have heard it by now um we were talking about costs points costs for sub-faction rules <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting yeah. people people pay for water battalions but people don't pay for sub-faction rules and sub-faction rules you know arguably are, are the stronger thing they are they are the thing that kind of affect your whole army rather than just the units within that water battalion yeah it's an interesting one isn't it it it's the same as a uh, faction terrain. It's like, should you pay points for that? Um, you know, you, you can take it even further. There's some allegiance abilities that some armies get access to that others don't. Should you pay for them? So, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It, it's a tough one. It, it would make balancing a little easier. You know, if, um, for example, Hagnar costs more points than the Kraith, and it, it's then, you know, do you take this and pay a premium, or do you take this one and it's free? or it's cheaper. So, I don't know, it's a tough one. It's an interesting, interesting mechanic, that. Um, I don't think it'd be a bad thing to put points on them, um, but also, I guess, from a just like a commercial point of view, having points on things that aren't on the table, it's a bit weird. Um, you know, if, like, most things have got, all the things that have got points have got models, other than the battalions, which are models, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I can see what you mean. Yeah, so it's, it's an odd one, um, but it's definitely something that I think you know it could add a, an extra layer. It wouldn't take much; it'd just be an extra line in the Jones Handbook, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see this summer. See what happens this summer. If, yeah. If, if... So, I mean, back to the battalions. It's things like, um, like you say, the change house and stuff like that. If they um, are out of whack, they've they've been sort of pulled back in quite a bit recently. Like FAQs coming thick and fast. Um, so the battalions are an easy thing, thing to fix, I think, because of, you know, General's Handbook and FAQ updates fairly quickly. So it tends to, they really stand out as a, you know, when there is a problem one, but it stands out, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and as you say, they tend to get addressed fairly uh, fairly swiftly. Yeah. So in terms of comparing units, kind of back to this kind of analysing the units, both internal and external. So how do you, what's your process for comparing units to each other? <laughs> So this this is my this is my special little process. So someone said on a podcast recently, and I, I think it was just play, um, but it might not have been. It might have been another one. And they were talking about the Brotherhood event recently, and they were like, um, they were talking about Lowy's um, shooty list, you know, the Silverneth. All the Colonel like, Hunters. Yeah, and they were like, it does like X amount of wounds at rend one on the first turn. They, you know, it, and they were like dead. Specific about exactly the amount of damage it does and things like that. Like that's not something I would ever say or even think. I'd be like, it shoots stuff from three foot away. You know, it, it's just some people are like straight down the line with the stats and number crunching. Other people are just like, how does this feel on the table? How do you think it would play? What what effect does it have on like your opponent's mindset when this is on the board? And it's it's two different, entirely different schools of thought. And I'm very much like that when I'm picking units. I don't really crunch the numbers of, oh, this should do this many hits, this many wounds. It should take this many hits to die and things like that. That's not something I, I ever look at. Um, I'm more of like, this, this feels like it should do this thing and it feels like it could put some pressure here and make my opponent, you know, sweat. So, so maths doesn't come side. into it at all? No, I don't think so. Um, obviously it does, because when you're on the table and you're playing, the maths, you know, the maths doesn't lie. But I'm very much a, a learn by doing. I don't I don't look at, like, the, what are the odds of this killing that? Um, it's more like, you know, once I've played this half a dozen times and it does the job or not, doing it from experience. So when you compare two units, like the crossbow, was your example you gave to be crossbow? Yeah, versus- crossbowmen versus handgunners. Mm. I guess you'd look at that and be like, so you'd look at it from a, a rules perspective and what little rules yeah, are on the scroll. So, so, for example, the handgunners can stand and shoot. Yeah, definitely. So I'd be, 
I'd be more analysing it from my point of view of like these dudes can stand and shoot. What effect does that have on the game? They, they're going to be they're both going to be powerful at shooting. You can buff them both. You know they're both going to put out a lot of damage. Um, I won't be worrying too much about like whether well, this one does you know point four of a wound more on average or anything like that. It'd be more like right these these guys do this thing. These guys have got the other thing. Which one's better for me? Which one do I need to fit into the army? Would I need a unit that could stand and shoot, or would I need a unit that's got a longer range, more likely to get in the range? Um, that's that's the way I tend to do the comparisons. Um, again, Ben, especially away. <laughs> I know some people would prefer to crunch numbers, and it works for people. So it's just another example of what what goes into choosing your list and looking at the battle term as a whole. How do you like? You know, which do you, do you take this battle line? Do you take that battle line? Um, again. Rather than looking at the, the stats, I would look at the, like the battlefield role, what it actually does when it's on the table and how it's going to perform. And have there been ever occasions where you've almost sort of written off a unit because you think, oh, it's it's not really what I want to run. And then you've kind of revisited the book, having played a lot of games and thought, actually, that's a potential kind of diamond in the rough that I've, I hadn't seen before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's some... My Chaos Dwarfs are a good example of that. My Legion, um, my Tarach is <laughs> like when you look at his his stats, and you you know he's got a three damage axe, so he should be able to get in and get stuck in and do some real damage. Um, but he's got so few dice that he rolls that it's really swingy. So sometimes he does loads, sometimes he does a little. Um, so I I just stuck with him because I know that other people look at the stats. And they look at the three damage, and they, they think, "Oh my god, three damage!" Yeah, He's but as you say, f- five attacks on threes and threes—that's you know, oh, you're, yeah, you're not getting many through, are right? you? One gets through, yeah. One gets through, you do three wounds. It's you know, it's like it's what happens. He goes in, he rolls a load of dice, some miss, rolls a load of wounds, some miss, someone makes a save. You might you might kill one two models, and that was like that's what was happening all the time. But then when I played with him more and more. Um, you just get used to him being on the board and what effect he has on the opponent, what effect he has on the game. Some people focus him down to kill him because he's got that threat, and he's not a it's not a key piece to me because I know he does nothing. Um, but when you use him aggressively, people are worried. And then when you do get him in, if he's in for a few rounds, eventually he'll get through. He could potentially spike some damage, and that was something. And same with the Iron Demon, it was another one which, like, on when you just read it, what it does, it seems quite good. And then when you play with it, again, it's the psychological effect of certain units on the table. No matter what they do in the game or what they don't do, um, you can just you, you can use that. So it's more to it than just pure what these guys do and what the points are. And what I sound what, crazy, don't I? No, no, no. It's it's <laughs> that's why it's interesting, kind of chatting to you and, and seeing how, as you say, because some people will, will be all about the numbers and all about the stats, and some people more about kind of the the rules on the on the scroll themselves. And some people are going to be like, right, I found a, a war scroll battalion that I want to to play, and I'm going to do yeah. everything I can to to make that make that happen. And a great example of that would be, you know, I really like the Soul Strike Brotherhood. So the the Castigator Shooty drop list. Yeah painted one and I've, I've never played with it but I've, it's ready to go and it's almost never. like can can the soul strike brotherhood redeem a subpar unit or is it rolling the proverbial in glitter you know because castigators aren't they aren't they're not all that but so this is if a, you can this drop is a good example okay go for it now i went through the stats i did the whole get the spreadsheet off tga which someone put together look at the stats for the damage output of stormcast shooting units and see what's best now Having just said you're not the maths man, you're now giving us yeah. an example of your spreadsheet. So yeah, yeah, and I went down it. Just, and I just at does it. go to show, just 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 goes to show that uh, you know you've got to be flexible and sometimes use techniques that you might not necessarily go to, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely right. And I went down it, and I'm like, well, this is mathematically the best unit, but then things can change. Like you put a war scroll battalion in where you can come down and shoot twice, and what does that do to your opponent when they know that that's an option? Does that change the way they play? Does that then change the likelihood of you getting your shots into the right units? So it's more than just like what the damage output of that second shot would do. Um, but also the how does the table look by the fact that you've got that option in your list? And just and then what is that is the result of how that looks, how you want the game to go? So it's not just about, you know, what can you get what can you squeeze from each unit from a point point basis. It's also 
like how does the the table feel after these things of assuming two players who are equally knowledgeable they know what's going to happen in the game um how does that then play out so you've got to take those things into account as well overlords are a good one for that you know if if an overlord player knows what he's doing and the opponent knows what they can do then is it still worth you trying to go for the, the full you know drop down and shoot list because at that point you know you could get screened and you know it comes down to that priority role or the even the do you get to drop first roll um not roll but you know the um the number of drop escalation war and uh does that is the even then take worth taking part in that are you better off changing the list having a different build entirely yeah i guess it's uh, an interesting one is is do you build a list that requires you to get the the, the drop as it were and yeah, so- uh, or have the choice of first turn and in which case how many drops do you need to go for is it one is, you know is it two well actually when you get someone else that's got a one drop then suddenly it's a roll-off and if your army is built around you getting the choice and you then happen to face someone with a one drop you're essentially going for a 50-50 whether you know and are you happy with those odds that's the one that's the one at the end it's like after all of that taken into account are you the sort of player that can handle possibly losing the dice roll you know once a tournament once every other tournament um i don't like that so i don't play for that um some people do like that so they go for it it's like when people uh, play for an aggressive double turn. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Which we definitely won't talk about our game at Facehammer, will no, we? <laughs> no, no. I'll let, you, uh, I'll let you gloss over that. <laughs> exactly. So talking of mistakes uh, and terrible decisions that we've made in the past, perhaps, uh, what mistakes has past been made when starting a new army or re- a re-release faction? You say you're looking at Burke and you're... Kind of maybe you've um, you've you've made some list writing mistakes or some unit analysis mistakes and maybe common ones that you've seen newer players making as well. So I'm looking I'm looking at my over army on the windowsill in front of me at the moment. Um, so I dived right in. I thought, you know what? I'll write a list. I'll uh, I'll paint it and I'll I'll um, have a look at playing that. So over Christmas, I had a bit of downtime. I was able to paint some models. Really enjoyed painting it. Um, I don't do a lot of painting, so I've really enjoyed uh, getting stuck in. But then when I've actually watched some games, and I just, I'm just i not inspired by it at all. It doesn't suit my style of play one bit. So my limited hobby time, I've spent painting an army that I probably, in hindsight, knew I'd never play with. Um, but I got carried away by the, the whole, yeah, I'll have a new army. I'll get it painted. It'll be dead good. And... You know, I'm going to shoot people with cannons and lead belchers and smash them with some gluttons. Um, so, yeah, I think I think diving straight in to the first list you write is probably not a good idea. However, saying that also, I do think there's a lot of, like, people who rather change the list rather than change the play. Um, I see a hell of a lot of that at the moment, um, especially with this whole... Like, oh, there'll be an FAQ in two weeks, that sort of thing. It's like rather than making a new plan, um, the new plan is hope it gets FAQ. That seems to be the plan, um, which, you know, it's a bit sad, really. And again, I know not, not everyone agrees with this. I'd love nothing more than to see um, old Flesh Eaters versus old Skaven versus old Slash versus, you know, old Zinch. Uh, before the FAQs, and I, I think that's I like that sort of game. I think it's a, um, a you know arms race that everyone has to you know change the list to compete in. Um, but I get that a lot of people don't like it, um, and I know my opinion is very very at the low end of that one. Um, I remember playing old seventh edition. Everyone said it was the worst time in the game. Um, I used to quite like it. Um, Dark elves versus demons versus vampire counts, um, all the real nasty lists, all equally nasty fighting against each other um but it's uh yeah it's a acquired taste i guess yeah definitely and what about in terms of kind of when you've been reading books themselves is there anything that you kind of don't used to do that you don't do anymore because of something you've learned um i'm not sure really what what would you mean by that so i guess a great example that i would use is probably about those castigated soul strike brotherhood is is i got very excited about the idea of the drop list and then having played it it's so i i can kind of compare the what the list i built to it's like a rubbish version of the pterodon army yeah i got you so it's like a less you know or a a great example another good example would be my my demigriffs so i i picked the i had these death core krieg uh, death riders so the rough riders for the krieg from fort forgewell and i thought 
I really want to use these in some form of kind of Realm of Metal style Age of Sigmar army. I reckon I can make them work for Age of Sigmar. And I converted one and I thought, that looks really cool. What City of Sigmar cavalry unit can I use these horses for? And I went through the book and I found that I saw the formation and I thought, great. Hammerhall, Demigriff, I'm going to do it. It's uh, only you know, tw- nine or 12 or 15 demigriffs. So it's only, I've, I've got the models for it. Perfect. And, I, you know, we even talked about it on the recent episode with Jack Armstrong and he took the list to Belgium and I thought it was great. And I was just building these things and I was just like, I don't really want, had I not had these uh, models, these uh, these four draw models that I wanted to use, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have built this army. So it's, it's literally just because I've got them and I thought, what can I use these for? I'm not going to use them in 40k. So I want to use them in AOS. And so it's kind of, I, I approached army building from a, the, a, a wrong perspective in this case, because I thought I need to build an army that has some form of horse-based cavalry or something <laughs> I can proxy horses for. So what does, you know, I was looking at uh, Wild Riders, Sisters of Thorn. No, those, those don't work because they're, they're ma- magic rather than combat. So Wild Riders... Uh, Demigriffs, Cold One Nights, you know, Drexel Nights, whatever they call these days. Um, and I and I was approaching it from that perspective of what units match this pre-existing model thing, rather than what kind of army do I want to play. And I've actually I've shelved that army. So having I was really excited to do it, and I, and it's just in the kind of past couple of days I thought, do you know what? I, I'm not excited about this army. I'm ex- I'm excited about converting some models, but I've already converted and built one. I'm happy with that. I've kind of it looks cool. I've done a couple of like stormcasty weapon swaps and the spear and things like that and put a stormcast shield on him and i thought yeah that, that looks cool that looks like a city of sigmar bloke but i don't, I don't <laughs> want to do an army of 18 of them or, or 15 of them i just kind of i've lost interest in it because because i wasn't approaching it from a how does this army work and do i will i enjoy playing that army i think you're just talking about the eternal gamer struggle there dan just <laughs> i think everyone has a dose of that i certainly do um i'm trying to look, twizzle my head and look in the cabinet now at all the um armies of shame that i've got where I've, I've done a stupid idea like i've got the stresses of four cauldrons of blood where i've been buying the starter sets um start collecting sets to get the bits that i needed to do witches and things like that when i built my army i thought oh yeah we'll have loads of cauldron of bloods and then started building them and like they're all half built now and never been never been put together so yeah i've made plenty of mistakes like that too along the way easily done yeah absolutely so talking mistakes again if you could kind of now we're gonna reflect back on on your last game so if you could change one thing about the last game you played what would it be so i think the last game i played was brotherhood played the last round against um team fiction I think it was no it wasn't it was um donald's crew that was angel wasn't it is that right yeah i think so um i let Godric get away <laughs> so i played against fire slayers with Godric, um and it's quite interesting really so the kind of the the way to beat fire slayers is widely known as um don't fight the berserkers um i think i've played them four or five times now and my whole army's fighting the berserkers on turn one or two and I've won all the games, so I've, I don't know. Maybe I've got a weird idea of how to fight that that one, but we, we did it again. I, I got an early charge. My Matthew went in, which has followed. Sisters of Slaughter's got in the back. All the Berserkers dead in two, three rounds of combat, and then Gotrek was there, and I ran away from him. <laughs> it was like it's the chance to bring him down, and I, you know, could have took it, but alas, it wasn't to be. So, what would you do differently next time? Oh, I'd, I'd, uh, I think I'd. Well, I did did do it all right. I got um I got Marathi into him and he ran away. So maybe I'd uh, I'd get the witches into him earlier. I think the good question there to be asked was the last time you lost, what would you change? And because um, it's you know usually your losses where there's a learning point to be had. Um, when you run over a fire slave army um, and you know manage to beat him up pretty quick, there's there's not many things to change. So the last loss was Mister Moen, who seems to be my nemesis at the moment. Um, it's that corn army. It's just like the piling six inches. That it's such an important. If you if you're struggling with positioning in Age of Sigma, if it's one of your weaknesses and you know it is, um, getting a regular opponent with a six inch piling is a especially that corn list. It, it's a really tough game to play against because they can charge and then pile in six. Um, but if the unit that they they charge against dies because of you chose a different combat priority or you shot it, they still get to. Um, pile in six and then if they've got a two or three inch reach as well they can you know they can go a long way it's nine inches on a three inch reach um so 
the positioning and the movement and getting things in the right spot in the right time, not having one model that could give them a potential slingshot. It's really tough and it's something you really need to keep your, ball, your eye on the ball. And last time I played Martin, he, he just got the better of me with that by a long stretch. And it was like he'd used Marathi as a big slingshot. So he, he, he piled in in such a way where he stayed at six and went all the way around the outside of it and hit some other unit. And it was just a... I don't play as much Warhammer as I used to. So, um, you know, that's uh, something you really, your positioning is very important. So that was a big learning curve, well, a big learning point for me, I think. So you've talked a little bit there about positioning and referred referring back to kind of some of your earlier points about kind of getting a vibe for how the army plays rather than specifically going for the most points efficient unit. So what is your play style and how does that all inform your overall decision and, and list making so generally i like to i like to be in the driving seat i like to chase people around the table um this is why when i played the legion i struggled so much i think because that's an army that's inherently like you need you've not got the movement built into the list there's some fast things and the way i played that army was um when i played a lot with it and i got quite good at this i had some good finishers i finished quite high up at the south coast gt one year um i've had a heat and the the games workshop warlord gt i think it was called the first event oh the all first one finish, yeah yeah all good finishers with the legion i was playing a lot with them then and it was a list where even then, I'd be very aggressive with it. I'd have my war machines in the middle of the table on turn two. And I like to get across the board. I like to put pressure on my opponent. Um, people under pressure make mistakes. And I like to be in the position where I can capitalise on them. Um, that's why with Daughters of Cain, I played Caleb on a lot. I've switched to Hagnar in the last year. I never played them before the first Jevil's Handbook change, where all the points went up and, and the list, like, I think the list Jack Armstrong won South Coast with, you lost to a Medusa out of it and you know points got squeezed quite a bit on there so I never played them in the first wave with Hagnar I always played Caleb one and it's because I like that the fact that you can teleport over the table and you can chase people around and I'd say that's my play style so when I build a list I always look at um is there a way to get across the board at someone and the the big thing even arcing back to old Warhammer was what happens if someone sticks half in one corner and half in the other corner on the table edges and they're happy with a 10-10? Because um, I'd never be happy with that. I'd want to go over there and kill it all. And I'd be really annoyed that half of it's on one side, half of it's on the other. So you need to be able to go and take the game to someone. If someone really wants to avoid combat, you need to be able to go and catch them. If someone wants to just sit back and shoot you, you need to be able to take that if you can. Um, you need... If someone wants to, you know, deploy off the table and come on later, you need to be able to try and manage that as well. Um, you can't, I don't like it if someone's got the army where I, I'm the one that has to hide in the corner. Um, good example is I played James Tinsdale at the team event with his eels list and I had to build a, a giant castle in the corner. He, he put his boats in the, in the front of the deployment zone so I couldn't move around him. Um, so I ended up in the corner, but I did it in such a way where I knew if I got first turn, I'd be in the middle of the board. Um, and then turn after that, I'd be in his deployment zone. So I'd still got, I could still shift across the table quickly. So all my lists and all these things I've talked about already, um, you know, what sub-faction am I going to use? Which war squad battalions am I to play? Um, which units, not necessarily the most efficient, but the ones that suit my play style the most. All of that, I kind of like, you know, swap and change and pick and choose um, to try and, you know, suit what I know I can play with and I enjoy playing with. That makes absolute sense, yeah. So <laughs> finally, at the end, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, so, are there any play styles, not necessarily like the ones that that you play at the moment, but that you'd like to see more of on the table? We've heard on the tables rather. We've heard a lot about kind of shooting meta uh, without really seeing it materialise. Um, armies have taken more shooting, uh, but we haven't really got the the shooting meta that we've been promised for months or years. Yeah, I don't know really. I think we're in a good spot with like a lot of different play styles not just looking um well even then you, you look at the factions um like what dan street does with his um his faction reports of what who's doing what well at events um something like 40 odd factions finished um in a top five this year um and when he said in, in, this year it's like it makes it sound a long time doesn't it it's, it's five weeks yeah <laughs> 40 something factions in like what well, might be might be six weeks by now but yeah it's, it's crazy but when you look at them factions and look at the styles of play of each of the factions, um, a lot of them are, are aggressive. A lot of them are over the table at you. Um, but there's a lot up there that aren't. There's 
you know, there's a lot I've seen glimpses about gits that rely on debuffing and just blocking things up. Um, you see the endless spell list. You see um, fire slayers. You know the defensive, big defensive blocks and. It's really interesting that there's a, a lot of different styles in the factions that are still doing well. Um, as for what I'd like to see more of, I don't know. I, I quite like the whole um, the endless spell lists. I'd like to see them done in a different way. I think there might be a bit of scope for rather than using endless spells to block movement and restrict table space. I think maybe some more just out and out damage. The, the rift, <laughs> demon fire rift, or um, whatever might be an extreme version of that, but. Um, I don't. I don't know really. I, I'm, I think they're in a good spot of varying playstyles at the moment. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of variety. You can definitely give them that. Um, and then kind of going back on, you've mentioned some square basing a few a few times. So, what element of Warhammer Fantasy Battles previous edition, any edition, what element of that would you like to see incorporated into Age of Sigma? Oh, it's it's ranks and flanks. So um, it was always really interesting to like in old school Warhammer, even when you look back now at, at the tables and or even photos of the ninth age tables when they play, um the the tactical game of um trying to get around the side, it's it's a big deal. And like even playing Warhammer Total War, you know, you try and get the units shooting to the flanks and, and charge into the rears and you do more damage. Um it, it's not really you don't get it so much in Age of Sigma. It's, it's still good to get around the sides of people because you get more bodies in that are able to attack. You can do more damage that way. But, um, you know, I don't know what it'd be. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be tough to incorporate that into yeah. a skirmish game, wouldn't it? Formations but... of some sort, or um, I don't know, maybe having it so, you know, if you're surrounded on so many models. It gets a bit messy though, you know, if you had to count the number of models in base. and Yeah, something, one of the chart. best things about Age of Sigmar is it's kind of relative so simplicity yeah, and intuitive, exactly. and, and introducing a mechanic like that might be really messy. But yeah, it, it would be interesting because we were, again, we were talking about this recently um, in the previous episode about how you don't get rewarded. You get rewarded for kill points in some events. You know, you tot up your kill points and you get rewarded for just doing damage. But you don't get rewarded for movement shenanigans, being really clever with outflanking or anything yeah. like that. You just, you know, that, that's how you win games. But you don't get a kind of an otherwise reward. So if there was a better, a stronger reward, you know, you could do more damage or, or whatever it was, you know, like how you used to, I don't know, whatever it is you used to do in, in Square Race is not really my game, but um, whatever it was that you got, uh, was it like you, a bravery debrief? You couldn't get the rank bonuses from yeah, leadership. Yeah, so it's a rank bonus. You yeah, so, so maybe it's a bravery kind of debuff, whatever it might be. Who knows? Who knows? So uh, what about other game systems? Because I know you, you're quite a fan of X-Wing and I'm not sure whether X-Wings have got a huge amount of overlap into Age of Sigmar, but are there any other game systems that you think Age of Sigmar could learn or take something from? So, yes, I do, actually. Now, um, I think it's the speed of play. So, uh, I mean, Underworlds have done this and uh, there's, there's been some attempts at other that community engagement that came out and but i think just like three hours for a game it's a long time you know and then like when you get in these events with 200 players and you, you get five maybe six games it's it's a you know it's a, it's a long time where x-wing you you know 45 minutes around it it's you know war machine hordes um hour and a half around some of these other game systems have compacted it it's still a competitive game still fast um I just think at the moment people going to a tournament and not getting finished in three hours, you know, is I don't think it's good. I think I think you could easily play seven games in a weekend um, if the the, the the like the game size was scaled down a bit. I think the game's fast enough to be able to play quickly and get enough tactical. Like with smaller games, with a thousand point games, you, I, I think they're still tactical enough. I just think the list is still interesting enough. Um, I'm not advocating for like half in the size of all the games, but I think as a as like a, a future Age of Sigmar mechanic, I think bearing that in mind could be good. Um, I think if you could, like watching Warhammer TV, you tune into the game on a Wednesday night and it's on for three hours. Um, whereas, you know, I get bored watching football, it's on for 90 minutes. It's it's not a it's not a spectator game. I think in in the in the world of like Hearthstone card games where you can log on, play a card game against someone in three minutes, and then you're off or playing another opponent. I think it's a big disconnect. I think if they want to really grow into like the computer game space and um, go really wide, you know, what does it look like when there's a million people playing Age of Sigma um, worldwide? Like, I think 
game time might be a big key to that. Yeah, I mean, just look at the kind of uh, pace of something like League of Legends. Oh, yeah, exactly. Versus, versus watching a, a three-hour game Age of Sigmar. There's definitely a kind of a disconnect between the two, isn't there? Yeah, but I mean, it's a different thing. It's like it's like Test Cricket versus 2020, you know, five days versus you know, three hours. Um, but, I, what, you know, when you say, what do I think it could learn from other systems? I think that's one of the things it could learn. Cool. Right. So before we move on to the final two questions, which we ask everyone, have you got any shout outs? Because uh, probably worth maybe mentioning Blood and Glory, which is a kind of a small local event that you're thinking of running this year, right? <laughs> yeah. So we've got Blood and Glory coming up. Um, thanks for the, the chance to give it a plug. Um, well, sorry, right. you'll now... give, it, give it an even bigger plug when you when you come back on the episode and talk about the event as, as a whole. Yeah, I think you've, you've said you'd like to do that. So that'd be good. Thank you very much. Um, well, yeah, Blood and Glory, it's the, the 9th, 10th and 11th of October this year. We're moving forward in the year a little bit. Um, we've got a new venue, we're over in Nottingham, um, about a five-minute walk from Warhammer World, um, so the Nottingham Tennis Centre. Uh, it's going to be a multi-system event. We've, we've kind of penciled in um, space for about 600, so we're going for almost every game system from Games Workshop. Um, Underworld's Grand Clash, that's um, one of the, I don't know, one of the five they've run over the year in the UK. Um, we've, we've got a big Age of Sigma event, obviously, a big 40k event. We've got um, Warhammer Hero, um, James Clark um, coming in to run The Hobbit. We've got, um, what else we've got going on? Heresy. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be exactly what we were thinking about doing when we first started Blood and Glory, which was go over to America, have a look at one of these amazing cons that they have on, and try and build something like that in the UK. Multi-system, loads of people enjoying a really good weekend of Warhammer. And, uh, you know, it, it's um, every year we, we're adding more and more to it. Brilliant. And if people want to find you on Twitter, where can they find you? It's at baddice underscore podcast. Brilliant. So, final two questions. If you could protect one thing about Age of Sigmar and never have it change, what would it be? And if you could only change one thing about Age of Sigmar and the rest of the game would never change, what would that be? So, what, what am I not allowed to say? There's a, like a regular one that you... you know, yeah, you can't say double turn or priority roll or that whatever <laughs> that is. So, protect one thing would be... It would be a, a kind of the dual effect of um, the amazing release schedule and also the moving on of like the, there's always a new faction at the top. Um, both of them things I think are really good um, and really important for a healthy game system. So when back to the, the old days of like sixth edition Warhammer, um, Wood Elves came out, they were top top tree, let's say. So they were, they were top of the trees and they were there for a long time, like a long, long time. So when Sun, when Slanesh comes out now and people are like, they're amazing. And it's like there's three or four books in the next six months and then one of them will knock them off. Um, you know, Slanesh being amazing for six months. Yes, it's a rough six months if you're not playing Slanesh, but also... Like you're going to get a ton of new releases. Um, the people who just want to play the new thing and the new best thing will jump lists. Um, new stuff will come out and beat Slanesh. Um, new lists will be made. People will design new lists and new releases will give them new access to that. And it's just brilliant. It is, it is the best thing because for so many years, it just didn't happen. You, there were some years where you, you didn't even get a, an army book release. Um, it sounds as crazy as it sounds, but you know it's what used to happen. So that's something I would never want to go back to. Um, I love the release schedule. I love the ever-changing face of what's the best thing in the game. Um, and I think it's really good. And if you could only change one thing and the rest of the game would never change, what would that be? I think it... So I did have this wrote down on my, on my notes because you'd already sent these questions over and we we talked about it a bit. And it, it is that, that game time. I think if we... You could... When we used to do the Games Workshop GTs, six games over the weekend, it used to be two-hour rounds. Um, and it used to be... It used to be 2,000 points, two-hour rounds. And it was good. And people played in two hours... People still overran. Some people finished sooner. Um, I think creeping up to three-hour rounds, and you know, it's reaching Belgium. Belgian event was three and a half hour rounds. I would, I would do something with the game, um, whether it's point sizes, whether it's adjusting the points of units, or whether I, I don't know. But I would, I'd like to see it back down to you know two hours a round or lower. I think. Um... To kind of counter that is, I like that. So, Age of Sigmar isn't Underworlds, and it isn't 
uh, a kind of like meeting engagement and i think there are there are entry points into the kind of fantasy gaming from games uh, um from <laughs> games of sigma from um, games workshop <laughs> rather um at, at every point you know every kind of number of model level you did you know what I mean size of games so oh, yeah, I, i'd still yeah. want age sigma to be a kind of mass battle system oh absolutely and i think yeah. anything sub two hours i i don't know i guess maybe it's possible but i i like the fact that the game has this kind of weight to it of time i think something like you know between two and two and a half hours would be really cool um and the fact that people have you know i think three and a half hours for the belgian event is that's you know having a, a chat to michael that that's just as much to do with the language barrier between the various nations attending oh, the event yeah. as as it was the game but you know face hammer does three hour rounds um you know plenty of other events do two and 45 or, or or three hours themselves so yeah as you say it's it's events have had to adapt to that system it's a shame that the system is designed in such a way that people have felt the requirement to do that yeah and i don't know what it is i, I don't know if it's like it's all the re-rolls is one thing it's but they are looking it's at all they the re-rolls are, it's all the re-rolls get, then, uh, but, but people, people are new newer releases are changing that you know they're looking at from what i can see they're decreasing the amount of constantly re-rolling things yeah and it's things just you know things like oh this is a cool new rule you get to move in the hero phase great next faction gets moving the hero phase as well brilliant now they play each other both move in the hero phase every turn and it's just you know um small things over the years um you know there's a new supplement out brilliant that's legal for match play great what's that do oh it's in my new book here's my new book read it. oh yeah i understand it's just you know added and added and added we've got a great game with thousands of options it's brilliant um but yeah one of the things i i try and focus on particularly for match play streamlining it a bit and try and get it to that two hour mark but again you know it's my opinions it's maybe not everyone's some people like the longer i know when we used to do the etc with our fully square bases we used to play in two hours in england and the gts were all two hours then you went to europe they want to do three and a half hour rounds for the etc and they wanted the tournament over three days to play six games. And it was like just a different culture, just just a different mindset entirely. They used to play for three hours and still not get finished. And we just couldn't get our heads around that. And it was, um, yeah, everyone's got a different opinion on that one. Brilliant. Well, Ben, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been, it's been great having you uh, back on the airways. It's like, like back in the old Ashes of the Imperium days, isn't it, when we're doing 40K together? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. I've not played that for a long time. Well, so thank you very, as I say, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we'll have you back on the airwaves soon to talk about Blood and Glory. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ben. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash priority roll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve, or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority Roll. Priority Roll.